In this week's 5 Things You Need to Know, Kroger's already the nation's largest chain of traditional supermarkets, but it's about to get a lot bigger. The New York Times highlights Northern Kentucky's bourbon business, behind the $3 million push to bring boomerangs back to Cincinnati, and Brittany Ruby Miller takes us behind the move of Jeff Ruby Steakhouse to premier space on Fountain Square. This is Above the Fold from the Cincinnati Business Court. Welcome back to Above the Fold, a podcast by the Cincinnati Business Courier. I'm your host, Andy Brownfield, joined by my co-host, editor Rob Dahmeyer. Hey, Rob. Hey, how are you? I am doing fantastic. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Happy <laughs> to be here. This is uh, more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I want to thank all you who tuned into our first episode. Uh, a lot of you had kind words to say based on the feedback we heard, and um, you know, we're happy to be bringing this podcast to you. Absolutely. So above the fold, back in the days of yore when newspapers were sold on newsstands, in the days of yore of like 2007, they'd put the biggest headlines above where the newspaper folded in half, so that's what people would see when they walked by. And we hope to do that with the podcast, hooking with the biggest stories of the week, and hopefully you you, uh, you stick around. If you get our morning email, you're familiar with five things you need to know, a column that rounds up the five biggest stories of the past day, and in this audio version, we're doing a weekly roundup. First, perhaps the biggest story of this year, Kroger has an agreement to buy rival grocery chain Albertsons for $24.6 billion. And now, as I mentioned up front, uh, Kroger is already the nation's largest operator of traditional supermarkets, but in terms of overall grocery retail, it's dwarfed by Walmart, which owns nearly 21% of the market. Kroger sits around 10%. Albertsons is number four, with a share of about 5.7% of the grocery market, and simple addition would tell you that the acquisition, they're calling it a merger, but Kroger is paying Albertsons shareholders $34 dollars and ten cents per share and ceo rodney mcmullen will lead the combined company Uh, it would put kroger within striking distance of walmart but in anticipation of antitrust resistance to the merger albertson's is going to divest between 100 and 375 of its stores the addition of albertson's would expand kroger's reach to the northeast as well as california and much of the west coast yeah the um one of the most interesting things, uh, if you look at a map of the united states and you put and you put pins where all the kroger stores are and uh, and then you overlay that with a pin for every Albertson store. There is some overlap, but really not much. It's almost as if these two companies, which they were, were operating as number one, number two, and really not trying to fight each other that much. In other words, they were trying to stay away from one another. And so this really truly does, would make, if if it goes through, would make, uh, Kroger, a truly national grocer, which uh, you know, some analysts uh, that Steve, our Steve Watkins, talked to when he did this, uh, one of his stories last week, was that this is really the first time there will be theoretically a national, traditional grocer in over a hundred years. A and P did it back in the, I think, the late nineteenth century. And, and this strategy of, of buying other grocery chains has been kind of Kroger's go-to to enter new markets, which makes a lot of sense because getting in there where you're not really known and trying to build from the ground up, it would be incredibly difficult. I mean, when I lived in D.C. back in 2013, uh, I shopped at the Harris Teeter, and that's a, a store that Kroger quickly snatched up to get into that market. Fred Meyer is another big chain that Kroger bought uh, that's in the northeast, northwest of the country. And they still go under the Fred Meyer name. Albertsons has Jewel Osco and Safeway. So that there are a lot of different nameplates, Kroger and Albertsons obviously being the biggest, but they each have nameplates under them 
So a lot of times people go to a Fred Meyer, they're not 100% sure they're, I mean, aware that they're shopping at a Kroger. Yeah, but I mean, there's very similar design language Absolutely. between all of them. I went to, I forget even what it's called, but I was in Santa Fe for vacation last month, and it, the store I shopped at was a Kroger in everything but name. Yeah. So seeing this story kind of makes me feel like I'm on one of those police procedurals where the sergeant tells the detective, Johnson, you're too close to this case. I'm pulling you off. <laughs> you know this, but I don't think many of our listeners will. I spent seven years in high school and college working as a bag boy and then a cashier for Kroger. I joined up when I was 14 because I wanted money to buy a bass guitar so I could join a, my friends in a punk rock band. And once it happened, I just couldn't bring myself to quit. I think that $180 a week dwarfed my $1.80 allowance. And you still claim... <laughs> to, or at least recently have claimed that you can still, you're still whiz at, at bagging, at bagging groceries. That, and I was the fastest cashier in zone three because they would measure that and the winner would get a $25 gift card, which I would trade to my parents for $25 in cash. That's so cool. I couldn't bring myself to quit, but like, no joke, I actually, I cried uh, on my 16th birthday because I joined, I joined Kroger at age 14. And my, because of child labor laws, my shifts were limited and I didn't tell anybody when I turned 16, but I just, I let it slip in conversation. And my manager at the time, when she found out, it's like, oh, so I can work you up to 40 hours a week now. And that was, uh, that was pretty devastating. That was the end of that. So be sure to check out this Friday's paper where, where Steve Watkins will have a cover story on the Albertson sale. Now, Rob, if I ask you to say what comes to mind when you think of Cincinnati pizza, what would you say? Uh, La Rosa's. Yeah. Donald Sebastian LaRosa, better known to most of us as Buddy, opened his first pizzeria on Boudinot Avenue on the west side in 1954. That pizzeria caught fire in 73, an event that gave rise to Buddy LaRosa's high school sports hall of fame when busloads of high school athletes arrived to help clean up after the fire. So Buddy's Pizzeria no longer stands, but a new flagship restaurant sits on that same property, and on Monday... Mike and Mark LaRosa, the second generation who currently run their father's company, unveiled a $1 million overhaul to the pizzeria. The entire interior has been redone, and there are still some familiar touches like Buddy's Table, which can seat up to 12, and the historic Tiffany lights that would be familiar to anyone who visited the pizzeria in the 1990s. Yeah, LaRosa's is synonymous with pizza here in Cincinnati. If, uh, you know, Some people don't like it, some people love it. Uh, it was part of my childhood, so you can guess where I come out on it. I love it. My kids love it. I think one of the things that La Rosa's has done great over the years, and it's it's really cool that they're redoing this flagship store, is that they really are big in youth sports. And if you go to any youth tournament of any kind or youth sports of any kind, there are stacks and stacks of La Rosa's boxes, which the, the teams can sell for two bucks a slice or whatever they want. And it gets the kids into La Rosa's early. That it does. For me, it was... Um elementary school pizza parties and the square slices of La Rosa's. And actually, I did not like La Rosa's back then. It wasn't until I left um, I left Cincinnati in 2006 after graduating high school. And I came back. Uh, you brought me back in 2013 yeah. to work here. And then when I came back, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is actually pretty good. You know, for me, it's all about Kings Island. I used to work at Kings Island, but I used to go to Kings Island growing up every year. And we always went to La Rosa's because there were five kids and two adults. So there were seven of us, and my parents weren't loaded with cash. So we would go to La Rosa's that, that had a, a, a location at Kings Island, and that smell and the taste was, is just still part of my childhood. 
uh, La Rosa's is great Kings Island food, but what is not great Kings Island food is jumbo shrimp. Back in 2014, I think it was, uh, they unveiled their new roller coaster, the Banshee, and they oh, had no. a uh, yeah they had Where's a big old buffet for um, for media. And I oh. love seafood, so I had me some jumbo shrimp, rode me a roller coaster, and oh. I could not shake the feeling for the rest of the day. Oh well, at least you got some free food. Uh, yeah, there's that. That's one of the best perks of journalism. It is. So it's not often that the New York Times writes about the Cincinnati region, and much like explorers throughout history, it's not real unless they discovered it. The Great Lady last week published a piece called Savoring Bourbon and Its Storied History in Northern Kentucky about the burgeoning bourbon industry just across the Ohio River. It highlighted local distilleries, whiskey bars, and unique businesses just south of us, businesses like Revival Vintage Bourbon Shop in Covington, where you can buy bottles that date back to the early 1900s. Now, no surprise here, but the, much of the story focused on new rift distilling in Newport. One of the things about the bourbon business is that it takes time to be considered Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. It's got to be aged for at least a minimum of two years in new oak barrels. And these are, are big 55-gallon barrels, and each year of aging means that some of the product evaporates off. Some smaller distilleries will sell an early bourbon that's been aged in smaller barrels for shorter periods under the theory that less liquid touching more barrel surface will age it faster. But Ken Lewis and New Rift, they did it right. Not only did they age it in proper 55-gallon barrels, but they did it for a minimum of four years. Yeah. Um, Ken Lewis and New Rift, you're a bourbon guy, I'm not, but even I have... um you can't escape the, the buzz that New Riff has, is getting for the quality of, of, of what they're uh, distilling in Newport. It's, it's, get, it's gaining a great reputation in bourbon circles, which is not something I, I expected so quickly for them. Especially not in an industry that's just full of legacy yeah. brands. I mean, at their price point, if you're paying 40 to $50 for a bottle, you could get something like a, an Eagle Rare or a Maker's Mark or something that's got name recognition. But New Riff's kind of carved out like a, a, a very healthy segment of the market just on quality. I mean, they, they give a crap. They're doing it right, right recipes, aging it for the right amount of time, and it, I mean... Quality is, is their cornerstone. And one of, the, one of the reasons that Northern Kentucky was even featured in the Times uh, is because, and smartly, if you're going to bourbon country in Kentucky, and if you're from the East Coast or the West Coast or wherever people are that have all this money that they can spend on bourbon, where are you going to fly into, right? So Louisville's an option, but, but CVG is a great option, especially with all the th- stuff that's going on here now. And you're very close to to these distilleries just down the road in Kentucky. Yeah, uh, having this this feature written in the New York Times is kind of a boon for the Northern Kentucky Convention and Visitor. <laughs> it's a word I can't say right. The Northern Kentucky Convention and Visitors Bureau. Uh, back in I think it was 2018 or maybe 2017, they set up the Beeline, which was this big push to get Northern Kentucky's bourbon industry recognized. And the Beeline's a passport that you can get stamped at different bars and distilleries around Northern Kentucky, and it's it's really meant to kind of shine a light on what's happening here. And that that's kind of paid off in this uh, New York Times travel piece. Yeah, for sure. And uh, another one of the distilleries mentioned on this list uh, is Second Sight Spirits in Ludlow, Kentucky. And that place has a, a special spot in my heart because they are on the ground floor of the Northern Kentucky Fencing Academy. So 
Uh, our listeners may or may not know from my five things columns, but I'm, I'm a fencer. It's, it's led to at least one scar and much cursing um, because I'm not a very good fencer. So when I go to tournaments at the Northern Kentucky Fencing Academy, when I inevitably get knocked out, I go downstairs and have a, a drink or two at the Second Sight Spirits. I think that's great. I th- I'm sure you're a good fencer, by the way. I, I don't buy this whole I'm not a good fencer thing. Well, maybe against some of the 14-year-olds in, uh, <laughs> in the beginner's class. But okay. So in sports news, the uh, sale of Western and Southern Open has been completed. Charleston businessman Benjamin Navarro and his BMOC Capital agreed to buy the tournament from the U.S. Tennis Association back in August, and that just wrapped up. Financial terms weren't disclosed, but our sister paper, the Sports Business Journal, reports that the bid for the tournament could be worth at least $250 million. The Western and Southern Open is one of the world's nine largest pro tennis tournaments, and I know there was a worry that Navarro might move the tournament out of Cincinnati, but so far he's given no indication of wanting to do that. No, uh, he wouldn't give any indication of wanting to do that until he does it. So I think that the fears, uh, I think that the fears that Navarro would move the tournament are not crazy fears. They're not paranoid fears. Uh, he's from Charleston, which is a big tennis center. Uh, now, the, the, some of the reasons that it would stay here are the players love it. It's a top-notch facility. It's been here for a long, long time, so it has a great crowd. It has a great fan base, and they do really well on the draw. But, you know, hyper-wealthy people buy things for interesting reasons sometimes, and who knows? I do know that there is a fear, though, that he might move it. Well, I hope not, because uh, as we had in our cover story a couple weeks ago, this plan to cap off Fort Washington Way, John Barrett said that that could be a potential site for a tennis tournament, and that would be pretty cool to have tennis played above those highways, right, with the banks on one side, downtown Cincinnati on those. That would be great use of that space. Agreed, but John Barrett's not going to own the tournament anymore. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but Rob, what do Chris Wetterick and I, and, and probably a couple other people on staff, but I don't know about them, so I can't lump them in with us. What do Chris and I have in common? You both have master's degrees in journalism? That's actually true. Uh, that's true, and that kind of feeds into this. We're both boomerangs to Cincinnati. A lot of our readers won't know this, but when I graduated college in the middle of the Great Recession, I made the magnificent decision to put myself further into debt by going to grad school. Chris was my boss there. He was heading up the State House Bureau in Springfield, Illinois, uh, the daily newspaper there. And we both managed to find our way back to Cincinnati, and that's something Tim Shigel wants to make happen more often, though I think he's setting his sights a little bit higher than newspaper reporters. Uh, Shigel is the managing partner of Refinery Ventures, a Cincinnati-based uh, VC venture capital firm, and he just launched a new effort he's calling Fund Your Way Home to lure Cincinnati natives who may have departed the Queen City for greener pastures of Silicon Valley to bring their startups back home. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that COVID and then hybrid work or work from home has has really changed the game on is that if you are a top flight business person or a top flight talent, or if you've got a business uh, that you've started somewhere else, increasingly you can do that wherever you want. And so what Shiggle's doing here, but but is also just happening on its own is people are deciding to live where they want to live and then moving their business there, or it, whether it's in their basement or, or wherever it would be. Um, so, for instance, if you're, a, if you're a top engineer at Facebook or Google, 
um, you don't necessarily have to live in Silicon Valley anymore. They'll let you, a lot of times, these companies will let you live where you want. That could help cities like Cincinnati because it's a lot cheaper to live here. People have, well, it's a great city. People have family here. There's a million reasons to live here. Uh, but being cheaper is one of the biggest ones. And so any efforts, I think, that are put across to try to get the word out that, hey, we're open for business and, and, and we want some of this talent in some of these companies is, is really cool. Yeah, it used to be that the whole draw to be in Silicon Valley is that's where the capital was. If you wanted to start a tech firm and you wanted to get venture capital investment, which is the lifeblood of any startup, you had to be where that money was. And that's just not true anymore. Right. I mean, Cincinnati, this whole region used to be flyover country for VC, but that is changed in a big way as evidenced by a lot of the, the multi-million dollar nine-figure exits we've seen. Yeah, the city has... A ton going for it. Uh, if you attended Blink uh, recently, you, you would have seen about half of your metropolitan city uh, residents down there with you. There's just a lot going on here. And I think the more people can see it and the more people can experience it, uh, whether they're boomerangs or not, um, is just going to help Cincinnati. Yeah. Come for the cheap cost of living. Stay for La Rosa's. Exactly. Good point. This week in our interview segment, we've got Brittany Ruby Miller, CEO of Jeff Ruby Culinary Entertainment. Brittany grew up in her dad's restaurants, and where some of us may have played hide-and-seek in the neighborhood backyards, she was skirting under white tablecloths, and now she leads the restaurant group that her father built. Earlier this month, they opened what they're calling Jeff Ruby's Legacy Restaurant, a new steakhouse and the foundry adjacent to Fountain Square. We recorded this interview just days before Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse opened on October 8th. Here's what Brittany Ruby Miller had to say on Above the Fold. appreciate you making the time because I, I have to imagine it's got to be I quite the sprint the to opening. Oh, it's yeah. naughty over there. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, how, I know you said it was going to be a photo finish, but like how, how close are things right now? They don't look finished. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, it never comes together till literally the last hour. I, I can't tell you how many restaurant openings that I've covered where people are like, hey, yeah, we think we'll be ready for photos on this date. And then we mm-hmm. visit with a the photographer. There are boxes everywhere. No. Signage hasn't gone up. We usually don't allow, we don't do our stock photos for at least 30 days after the opening. Oh, really? So I think what we're going to do for media is maybe a week, week of after we open, do tight shots, like pretty controlled. Yeah, because Terry. It'll, it should be fine by next week. Yeah, Terry at Royce didn't want any photos of the space itself for, uh, I forget when we tried to send somebody, I think day two of opening. And I understand now, but uh, yeah, second day of opening, you probably don't want a photographer poking around. No, it's still, (laughs) yeah. The punch list is just the thing. And so when you're um, as focused as we are on all the details, it's like, it's excruciating. Somebody walks in and takes and you're like... You know, like we just painted a wall black, even though it's getting antiqued mirror. You mm. know, it's there's things that you can do to get open, but then to see it really the way that you would want it, it's. Do you like? Uh, take some time. Do you like this process? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the there is a energy over there and a vibe. Cause we've got all of our team basically just putting wine away, liquor, all the small wares, training. Right now they're going room to room and. Got the family over there that's pretty involved in the construction and design, mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, it's a special time. It's cool because we've never really done it in Cincinnati, you yeah. know. Yeah. With yeah. our team, it's usually Nashville, Columbus, 
So, and that's a brand new staff, but to do it with the staff here is pretty awesome. Yeah, I know I've covered a lot of your, your different openings, and it seems like each one gets bigger than the last one. How's this kind of compared to some of the, the more recent ones you guys have opened? I remember Nashville being like a, a big, big deal for you guys, but this seems like, uh, remember you calling it your, um, I don't know, not crown jewel, but just like a centerpiece restaurant for you guys. Yeah, so we kind of start, you know, we, we started calling it the family and I, his legacy restaurant, and now I've I've kind of boycotted that because he's got more in him. So there's probably a different word we could use. But I will say, from a legacy standpoint, you know, um, having that restaurant where it is, the upgrade, not only just the square footage, but on the design and and look and feel, how finished it is, refined. It's a feather in his cap to be in the heart of downtown Cincinnati right there at Fountain Square. So, I mean, we'll call it his legacy restaurant, but I keep reminding him he's got way more in him. He's 74 and... He's got more energy than yeah, he's going all on, three of He's going us. on 60. Yeah, yeah, he's it's unbelievable. And it's the passion that drives him. The other day we did a training, and he got up and spoke to the staff. He kicked it off, and it was awesome, about 100 people. And he nonchalantly says, like, you know, I haven't slept since Saturday. It was Tuesday. Mm. And he's 100% serious. And uh, so what, what keeps him during this kind of process? Yeah. This is this is this is Cincinnati. It's it's the the restaurants in the other cities are massively important. I know, but this is his name, his city. What is it that's keeping him up? If you had to guess, at, at he, night he's, right now, he said, "You know, I was I tried to sleep. I took a nap for five minutes, and I started thinking about the valances that needed to go into the <laughs> legacy room." And then he was thinking about the art and all of the you know FF and E call it the the furniture, the the art the things that make us a Ruby restaurant, he's got his fingerprints all over him. So, man, it's been it's been incredible watching him just on fire, so much energy, so excited. And so those are the types of things. It's like, where's the statue of the dog going? Or the, <laughs> you know, the Art Deco lady that was going to go in the Pullman booths? Or, I mean, that's just, he's moving things around. But it was funny yesterday, they went, took a, Penske truck over to Ruby's and the team was back there uh just again like family and they're like come on get in so he literally gets in the back of this truck (laughs) the loading dock to go to Ruby's and to just go get more of his stuff right uh and he was gone for a couple of hours just because he he's having so much fun so it's pretty exciting for him being on Fountain Square I mean what was that that conversation like I mean Fountain Square kind of is the front porch of our, our city, the beating heart of downtown. You guys are in a pretty special space. It really is. I still look back and I go, how on earth were we able to do this? We still had, we, we have a significant amount of years left on our lease at 700 Walnut. And and we wouldn't give it up anyways. Um, yeah, my dad always talks about isolating the competition. So... Um, <laughs> It's a great it's a great building, it's a great landlord. And two years before we had even a thought of maybe this thing happening before we even knew. Our family does a two day, two to three day kind of business retreat. We were out at someone's farm and uh, you know, we're on a whiteboard and saying, Hey, you got three darts in the next five years, what do you want to throw? And two of them were events and catering before doing another city. So so I think the family already knew that hey, this is a this is something that we think we could have a cool niche to be able to offer. Jeff Ruby catering, golf outings, have a facility, 
a Jeffrey B. wedding, you know, with mm. all of our staff, our team, our food, the brand. And so I, I love that we were thinking strategically about where we're going. I think that's really important for, especially for restaurant operators who just really, they're, they're entrepreneurial type of people who they want to cook and have a great restaurant. So my job as a CEO is to say, you know, you all do that and run this restaurant and then put the vision out there, cast the vision where we're going in five years. So we had had that conversation. And then I get a call from uh, my friend Adam Gelter. And he wanted me to come see the space. And so at that time, I'm thinking, great, this could be our banquet space. And uh, we'll keep 7th Street as a steakhouse. And then when I, we, when I walked in, I, I was like, I could see his, him, uh, JR, we call him, the wheels spinning. And uh, we walked away, and he's like, we're effing doing it. I'm like, we're doing what? <laughs> <laughs> and I knew what he was talking about. But from there, we had, we had a deal still with town, and uh, they were kind enough to see a vision for the city and to see a vision for our events. And so we rolled that lease over into an event center and catering, um, and that took, quite, you know, took some time to negotiate what that agreement looks like, but um, pretty, pretty awesome. And that comes down to the relationship with Neil Bortz and, and my dad, genuinely. I mean... I don't know a landlord that would allow a cash cow steakhouse that seems pretty, they're pretty comfortable with having Jeff Ruby's down there to say, you know what, I see the vision. I'm doing it because you're my friend. Relationships matter. So we took that lease on. 3CDC has been incredible. They've been really awesome uh, to us and, and to kind of helping through that process as well. And so here we are. You know, it just seems, it's unbelievable. And then when you think about a few years ago where we were, and a year later, you know, we're negotiating a lease for 13,000 square feet yeah. and, uh, and then renewing the lease at town to do an event center uh, that's uh, just still blows my mind. I still don't think it's real, but it's happening. And Are, you, sleep- are you sleeping? <laughs> um, I do. I sleep great. I really do. I, I go to bed at like 10, 1030, and I'm up around 5. And I catch up on all my emails and business stuff before I go to work and take some time with the we homeschool. So that helps. Um, I don't homeschool. Kids will be illiterate if it was me, but I have a tutor that comes. <laughs> and so it works. You know, I sleep, but I'm not like I'm probably way high ADD and much like my father and uh, try to do everything I can do to kind of, you know, make sure I'm still taking care of myself. But it's fun. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, is um, are you and your dad two peas off a pod or do you, are there a lot of differences that play off each other? How would you see that? I think I've got, I definitely have the Ruby DNA. Which is? Which is, uh, you know, I have a board of advisors and one of them said that I have an entrepreneurial mind and I was kind of offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'm a process person. I'm strategic. I'm, you know, and he's like, no, you're not. And the whole board agreed, like, not that I'm not strategic, but that I have a passion like my dad's and I have a, I can, you know, I have a good vision, I think, and I can see opportunities. And he said, there's nothing wrong with that. But so for me, when I wake up every day, it's, I got to make sure that I keep that in check so that my team's not chasing their tails all the time, right? Because those types of people are brilliant, but it takes someone, the best leadership book ever is good to great. And having a level five leader that is pretty stable, cares about you. The other piece of that, that book was written 20 years ago. And millennials now are, 
there, I believe that there is a way to have both. And so that's where I try to balance it. And my dad appreciates it very much. So he knows he's, he's got, he's in his lane and he's able to push and drive. And he knows that I'll be pulling back, pulling back while still making sure that he's not stifled. So with each new restaurant, is there a pressure to be bigger, grander, and more than the last? Or is that more just like a challenge? No, it's definitely, Jeff Ruby sets that expectation from the very beginning. If we're going to do a new restaurant, it's got to be better than the last one we did. Hmm. So that's got to be a very creative process. Highly, highly creative process. We've got a great designer that we found a few years ago. And because the, our original designer who built our brand, you know, he's, he was 92 when he passed, Dave Stevens, but he, he was, he was genius, but we kind of, I don't want to say we grew out of him, but we got to a point where we needed some more digital assistance. You know, he hand drew everything, all the drawings. Mm. Well, I had a GC one time tell me in Nashville, it looked like cartoon drawings and <laughs> how do I build this? <laughs> but, but he did it right. And, and that's, I, I will say core resources always did a great job of taking that vision and, and they built the Cincinnati restaurants. And, and so, but as, as I continued to grow and, and understand a little bit more about design, I realized that there was, there was a need for someone who had a little bit more resources. And so Dave still kind of helped out and he was creative, call it creative director for us, but we had another design group come in. So we use a great designer that collaborates awesome with my dad and doesn't get territorial. They work hand in hand and they have access to our warehouse that has all of our stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's, it's huge. And when Jeff Ruby travels to go, he's not like the guy that's on a beach somewhere enjoying life. He just now recently started like, Hey, let's go with the grandkids. You should really enjoy it. But no, his, his vacations are going to Broken Bow, Oklahoma, finding stuff at antique malls. You know, he just got back from um, somewhere in Alabama where he found, you know, we've got the Mother of Pearl t- grand piano. Right. That's pretty awesome. It's like from the, I think it was 1850, Steinway. Hmm. Really? Um, and he found it in New York through some of his people that he just, wow. you know, that's what he does. And so Mark, our designer, does a fantastic job pushing the envelope with cutting edge design, but also staying true to the Jeff Ruby brand. And then I just come in and give my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad respects it very much. And so that's awesome. I think I've probably added a feminine touch to some pieces. And and I do have a passion for design, but I, I certainly don't try to in, insert myself and act like I'm the master because I am the student and he is the scholar. <laughs> well, I love the I love the space you're leaving. I've just always loved what you guys did with that space. It always felt very warm. Never wanted to leave, which I'm sure you guys work really hard to to create those feelings. What when I go to the new place, what's going to be different? Um, what should I expect? It'll look completely different. You're still going to know you're in a Ruby restaurant. Why is that? All the touches. I mean. The goal really when you have a restaurant or uh, a business even is you don't have to have your logo splashed all over the place that to know the look and feel. And so I think by those pieces that Jeff Ruby hand selects and picks and the art and, uh, you know, the art deco decor, uh, the Tamara Delampica art, you know, mural, just all of those pieces, the banquettes, the booths, the, the, even the colors, the burgundy colors on the banquettes and uh, all of it, you're going to know you're in a Ruby restaurant. You'll know you're in a Ruby restaurant, hopefully, by our team, by our people, and their level of service. And the menu's up a notch as well. So we really challenged everybody. I mentioned the book 
good to great. And one of our strategic goals that we pl- have had now for the past two years is great to greater. Hmm. And so that's hmm. everything, food, beverage, decor, uniforms. Like, the you, wait till you see the comb costumes. I mean, the wardrobe is it's unbelievable. I've got all all of our uh, ladies' hair and makeup professionally done on opening night. So we've got about 10 experts on hair and makeup and come in and full glam. And there's a lot of uh, their, their outfits are over the top. And and so the tableside bartenders, you know, you think like old Hollywood, it's going to be pretty cool. So so I think, you know, hopefully the team. But that, that restaurant, the uh, steakhouse on 7th Street, is about 8,600 square feet all in, including the kitchen. And and uh, here we're, we're about, today I heard 15,000. I don't think we're <laughs> that, but it's pretty big. It's probably 13,000 square feet. So it's it's more capacity, but... We got the big horseshoe bar that we have at the other locations, and there'll be live entertainment that would be fun. Well, it will be fun, and nano walls that open to Fountain Square, so there'll be an indoor-outdoor kind of vibe. They're putting planners in, literally. That's why it was such a kind of a mess getting over here because I'm working with Brett from Wow Window Box on what type of landscaping we have, trying to get my hands dirty because I'm pretty particular about plants. That's a whole other story. <laughs> plant mom here so you know it's just hopefully you walk in and you're like oh yeah this is jeffrey b restaurant but it's even better yeah so it sounds like when you guys made this strategic plan and thought you're going to take on catering and and banquet type work Mm -hmm. and then toured the fountain square space thinking that maybe that would be that Mm -hmm. what changed your mind about that i think as soon as so dylan my dad and i walked in and it just it, it was a white box, they call it, where we could do whatever we want. And we had already been thinking about 7th Street. And it was interesting. I was, I'm getting my MBA, and I was taking a new venture class when kind of all this stuff was going down. I remember watching and learning about every business has a point of diminishing return, and every business hits it. So call it 9, 10 years, and you, and you look at the statistics, you see the curve, right? And as soon as it hits, if you do not reinvent and you do not refresh, your business is gone. It's like graveyard. <laughs> and, and we had already been, we, we were about there, which meant we need to come in and renovate. And so we were probably going to put about a million bucks into the place. And we knew we needed more square footage. And so we're like, how do we do this? You know, this is kind of, this is difficult. So it was incredible timing. And as soon as we saw that space, I think all of our brains, it kind of just clicked that this would be awesome, but we we don't even know if it's an option. And so it was like, hey, dad, you need to get on the phone and call your buddy and see <laughs> see if this is an option before we get excited. So Did that happen pretty quickly with Neil? Like a couple hours later. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, he's salt of the earth, m- one of the most genuine human beings I've ever met. Neil Bortz and Arn. They, their whole family. I mean, mm-hmm. so they 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 love Cincinnati. They just love the city. They want to see it succeed. It doesn't shock me. I mean, it's a surprising mm-hmm. move for any business owner to do something like that. But it doesn't surprise me at all when it, when you think about Neil. Yeah. No. Yeah, and I'm like, I can't believe I w- I am surprised still. I just think it was incredibly gracious of him to to do that. Now we still had to do our homework, and Adam Bortz is the CEO. So he's second generation, and uh, he did probably what I would do. Like, I want to see your business plan for the event center. I want to see how, what, you know, what this looks like, and 
And so we did, which was great. We had to do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that pushed us and it was good. And, and we feel very optimistic about that business. I'm hoping that we will be open in June to be able to June one, just wedding season. Mm. And so, um, but yeah, it's a lot going on right now. We've got this project that's been uh, all hands on deck. And then uh, behind the scenes, we've been designing an event center. So it's fully designed right now. We're bidding it to a couple construction companies. Um, and we'll be theoretically ready to demo in three weeks and hopefully get that get that open wow. by June. Yeah, so that's a lot going on. I mean, how do you how do you keep yourself sane? What do you do to just get away or, or turn your brain off work mode, expanding, moving, building? I mean, the look she's giving me, is that that's not what she does. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I tell you, I really do sleep very well at night. The past few weeks have been stressful, naturally, with any construction job. But honestly, I mean, this will sound preachy. I pray. And I, at some point, I just got to trust God. Like, I need you to take care of this. And I put it in prayer, and I don't think about it again. I still do my work. I still do my job, but I can't sit around. I've dealt with, like, fear, anxiety. That's why I wrote my book, Five Star Life Plug, if you want to know how to get over fear, anxiety, (laughs) PTSD, all the things. (laughs) But uh, that was a learning process for me, and so I just sleep easy at night. So, yeah, speaking of your books, is it true that your dad uh, really went around to all the bars when you were 16 told the doorman not to let you in? Did I write that? Yeah. Yeah, he did. I actually had a fake ID, and I thought it was pretty good. And uh, and then he w- the guy was on to me finally and like peeled it off. It was just like a sticker on there. <laughs> and he said, "I'm mailing this to your dad. Get out of here." I was like, "Oh my <laughs> god!" And um, I didn't grow up in the most conventional like household. I think I look at my kids now. I'm like, "There's just no. It's totally different." Hmm. I don't know. Different different parenting. I had great parents. It just is. Uh, it's, it's much different, but, you know, my dad was there for as much as he could be, and so I have great memories, you know, him coaching and, and doing all the things. And that's why he didn't grow the restaurants, because he knew he wouldn't be able to raise kids as well. But, yeah, that was a sobering moment, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> Did he, um, when you guys looked at this new space, and, and especially now that it's almost open, is there, a, is there a touch or something in the new place that you haven't, hadn't been able to do until now? Like something you've always wanted to do in one of your restaurants that for, for whatever reason didn't happen until this one? Well, for Cincinnati, I think the bar is a big one. So yeah. having that huge stage, having a full band, and it's up, it's elevated, and then you've got a huge bar area that usually turns into a dance floor, you know. Mm-hmm. But that we've done that at the other locations, and so that for sure. And then I think... It just came again down to square footage. Like we could have done it had we had more space, but but we didn't. So, but I no, I think again go back to an entrepreneur and can you say no to them? It's like they dream and you got to make it happen the next day. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming down here for this. Yeah, thank you. Above the Fold is a podcast by the Cincinnati Business Courier, hosted by me, Andy Brownfield, and Rob Downmeyer. The podcast is produced and edited by me, and our theme music was written by Dylan McCartney. Come back next week for another edition of Above the Fold. 